This is Wealth Matters Podcast number four. I'm your host, Alpesh Parmar. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope 2019 be a great year for all of us. We'll be going through some listener questions today. I'll be uh, doing Ask Alpesh session every once a month. Yeah, you know, I'll answer all the questions I receive via email or, you know, phone call, etc. So let's jump right in. The first question I have received, it's from Rajan from Dallas, Texas. How do you evaluate a property which is in the neighborhood and area you invest in? Good question. So this means that I have already I already know the neighborhood, as you have said that, and it's already in the neighborhood and the area I know about and invest in. Uh, then I usually look at, you know, the class of the property, A, B, or C, D, etc. cetera, uh, cap rate, uh, and value-add component. For example, you may have heard of 1% rule. What does 1% rule mean is that if I'm buying a $1 million property, monthly income should be uh, $10,000. So, Again, so this is how 1% rule works. Uh, 1% rule is also not perfect, but it is a good um, tool for back of the napkin analysis. If the property class is B, I assume expenses to be around 40% of the income per year. And for a C class property, expenses would be around 50% of the income. Again, this is just, you know, back of the napkin analysis as soon as I see the property without, you know, taking out my calculator or running through all my Excel uh, analysis engines. Uh, if I just want to look at the numbers, then this is how I would go. So let's assume in this case, the property is a C-class property. Uh, so I would be paying about $60,000 per year in expenses, right? If I, my uh, income is $10,000 per month, my total income for the year is $120,000 gross income. So, and my expenses, let's say 50%. So the remaining uh, 60 uh, grand uh, would be my NOI. Uh, so cap rate and the cap rate is calculated by uh, dividing NOI divided by the purchase price. So dollar uh, 60 grand divided by a million dollar gives me a cap rate of 6%. So once I get the cap rate, you know, current cap rate, not the pro forma numbers they have sent, is this the going cap rate in the area? All right, that's the first thing. So people will say, oh, 6%, 5%, why would I do that deal? So uh, it all depends on the area. And as you are asking from Dallas, um, you know that in Dallas, the cap rate, current going cap rate is 5% or even below. So let's say if this is the going cap rate, um, if yes, then this may be a good buy if there is a value add component. Value add means by either cutting expenses, improving property, putting better processes in place, you are able to increase NOI or the income of the property. If there is no value add, but the property is what I'm looking for, I look for ways to negotiate with the seller. Um, and again, there are a lot more things which go into uh, further analyzing this property. Uh, let me know, Rajan, via email if I was able to answer your question. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Second question, um, 
I have a property in Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, of course. Uh, uh, and again, I live in San Francisco Bay Area as well. Um, so someone is asking, uh, actually not someone, John from San Jose, California. Um, he has a property uh, he, which he's planning to sell. If he sells the property right now, he's saying, you know, he would have a gain of over 400 grand. How do I defer or reduce my tax liability? Hey, John, as I mentioned, I live in Bay Area as well, um, so I can definitely understand the pain and the gain here. Anyone who acquired properties between 2009 through 2012 and held for five years have at least doubled their investment here. Uh, I know, again, I'm not a tax advisor, so please um, definitely always consult tax, you know, your own tax advisors. Uh, but here are five ways which I have learned over the years. Uh, also, after reading some of the books uh, and attending tax workshops, which you can uh, look into um, so that you can defer taxes or reduce taxes after selling this property. And I'm pretty sure if you talk to your CPAs or real estate attorneys, they may have even more ideas. But here are some of the ways to achieve this. Number one, uh, primary residence. If, if this is your primary residence, then, and if you have lived in the house for at least, at least two years in last five years, you won't have to pay any taxes on the gain. Um, as you mentioned, it, the gain would be about 400 grand. If the gain, gain is up to 500 grand for a married couple, they don't have to pay any taxes if it's your primary residence. Uh, this benefit also prorates um, as well. So if you lived um, in that house for one year in last five years, you won't have to pay any taxes on 50% of the gain. So uh, again, talk to your CPA about this. Um, let's say this is not your primary resident. Then the second option is 1031 exchange. Uh, by buying one more property with total purchase price, more than the selling price of the original property, you can defer taxes on the entire gain. And you don't have to just buy one more property. You can use this money to acquire, let's say, five properties as long as the total purchase price of all the five properties are more than the selling price, you are good. So in that case, um, but 1031 exchange requires proper planning. You must pick... Uh, maximum three properties for 1031 exchange within 60 days of the sale and you must acquire one property out of those three within 180 days of closing so as i said requires real thorough and really good planning and you have to work with a 1031 intermediary for this so don't just sell the property and take the money and then you are like, oh, I will go ahead and do the 1031 exchange. No, that doesn't work that way. You have to make sure when you're selling itself that you are um, letting your CPA know and you have identified a 1031 intermediary who can hold your money, uh, the gain, while you are trying to acquire next property or you are going through the analysis of the next property so definitely consult your tax advisor and a 1031 intermediary for this uh, third option is owner financing uh, sell uh, the property on uh, owner financing by acting like a bank so basically now you can find a buyer 
an offer to carry a first or second mortgage on the property, or most of the time it would be first. Um, now you are the lender, and instead of getting a huge sum of money up front, you'll get money in monthly installments, so you won't have to pay taxes on a really large gain. So let's say you get the gain of 400 grand, and that will change your tax bracket for the entire year, right? And you'll pay a huge uh, tax on, uh, you know, because that will change your bracket from less than 25% to 40%, then you'll pay a lot more tax on it. But instead of that, if you are getting monthly installments for the same money, that wouldn't hopefully or most probably uh, wouldn't change your tax bracket by a lot, then you are paying less taxes. Uh, but of course, you won't have the entire sum of money with you. But that this is another strategy used by, uh, you know, some of the sellers. Uh, monetized installment sale. Uh, this is pretty similar to owner financing. You receive a payment in installment and you need a CPA and real estate attorney to execute this transaction. Um, so again, I'm not a guru on monetized installment sale, but I heard it from my CPA. And uh, another one I have uh, heard about is charitable remainder trust. Uh, again, so that you can pretty much open a charitable trust and uh, put all your gains into that trust. Uh, and you would need to talk to CPA and, again, RE, real estate attorney, to um, um, explore this option as well. I'm just throwing out the options here so that you have uh, this uh, five, six, whatever options in your pocket when you go and talk to your CPA, attorney, 1031 intermediary, and you can compare all those options and figure out what makes sense, right? Um, again, other than this above uh, five options, you can also look to invest the gain into tax-reducing investments or strategies like investing in oil and gas, acquiring conservation easements, or becoming a passive investor in opportunity zone real estate fund. So these are some other options as well. Feel free to reach out to me if you want to discuss about any of this. I have acquired about knowledge by attending tax-related workshops, reading tax and accounting books, and asking lots of questions to my CPA. Legal disclaimer, I'm not a CPA or an attorney or a certified financial planner, so please, please consult these professionals as and when needed. Thank you, John, for tuning in. So the next question I have uh, is from uh, Ron from New Jersey. Oh, wow, nice. Uh, is investing in gold a good idea right now? You know, John, I recently attended a New Orleans Investment Conference, and it's all about precious metals. Pretty much, I would say 50% of the conference is focused on precious metals. So I acquired a lot of knowledge around gold, and here is what I think. Um, gold is, a not, is not a cash-flowing investment, so I don't consider it as an investment, but it's a good hedge against inflation as well as weak economic cycle. Gold doesn't lose its value, so I always prefer to have a small percentage allocated to gold in my portfolio. For example, gold could buy a pair of shoes and nice clothes hundreds of years ago, and you can still buy a nice suit and a pair of shoes with same amount of gold, uh, but not with the same amount of money. 
right? Gold and other precious metals give a nice diversification to a portfolio, which mainly contains stocks and or real estate. Um, I actually met Robert Kiyosaki of Rich Dad Poor Dad, Peter Schiff of Crash Proof, uh, Tom Wilright of Tax-Free Wealth, Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart of Bricks Peak Prosperity, and June Garino of Assisted Care Living Academy at New Orleans Conference. So I was able to listen to them, uh, attend the sessions, as well as discuss with them about a lot of these different strategies, gold, precious metals, etc. So um, actually, and I ended up subscribing, subscribing to a gold newsletter as well, uh, just to get more understanding ar around gold. So I, I don't mind having uh, gold in my portfolio, but that's, um, that's not going to be a cash flowing investment. Okay. Um, Question from Joe from Phoenix, uh, Arizona. I'm just getting started with real estate investments. What are some of the books you recommend? Oh, I recommend lots of books. I, I love reading books. That's how I explore. That's how I um, hear about what other people are doing. And uh, that's how I'm able to get into the mindset of, you know, big people uh, or the, you know, investors as well. Um, if you're just starting out, I definitely recommend starting with these books. Uh, of course, first one would be, would be Rich Dad, Poor Dad by uh, Robert Kiyosaki. Think and Grow Rich, uh, Tax-Free Wealth, The 4-Hour Workweek, and The Alchemist. These are um, there are many more books you can read, but these books will give you a good start. If you want to know about more books, reach out to me, and I would love to help you out. Um, thank you. Oh, week from Palo Alto again. Someone from my backyard. Uh, what kind of investments do you recommend in 2019? <laughs> this is a good question, Vic. <laughs> I wish I I I I wish I can recommend uh, investments. I am not a certified financial planner. I'm not a fortune teller either. So uh, I wouldn't have recommendation uh, on where to invest. Uh, what kind of uh, investment you should be doing? The only recommendation I can give is, you know, what I think are good investments in your, you know, overall in your life, be it 2019, be it 2018, 2020, doesn't matter, right? So the first one I think is invest in yourself, specifically in training, education, and personal development. Never stop learning. Yeah, you know, make sure you are always, you know, educating yourself either through bigger pockets, meetups, attend a lot of conferences, um, spend money on workshops, uh, you know, take um, take a mentee role, uh, learn from mentors, even if you have to pay for it, uh, you know, that is the only way to keep learning um, and also, um, you know, expand your knowledge. The second one I think is a good investment is a start a business and invest in it. The reason is you should always look into generating second, third source of income. By having your own business, you can have that extra source of income, as well as you can take advantage of tax write-offs like home office, business mileage, travel for business, and, and many, many more. I have not worked full-time since um, 2011. 
since 2011, I have had my own as corporation for my software business, and I I, I could see the advantage. Uh, you know, I'm able to um, from the just the tax write-offs, right? And of course, the freedom, etc. So, you know, a lot of people will say, "Oh, we have full-time job," or "I love my full-time job." Or you don't have to leave your job. You can start part-time business. You can do something small. Even if you are buying real estate, think of it as business and and see how you can expand and create an LLC or, you know, make a business out of it, right? So there are lots of ways. If you want to um, reach out to me, um, feel free to do so and I can help you, um, you know, build a business as well. Invest in building your network. Oh, this is so important. It's important to hang out with like-minded individuals and, um, you know, to do this, attend as many relevant meetups, conferences, and workshops as possible. Because you are going to meet so many different types of people, different kind of people, and you, you will be able to capture a um, lot of knowledge out of this kind of people. And this is why I attended tons of conferences and workshops um, in 2017 and 2018 as well, and I continue to do so uh, um, so I think that's another point. The last one is, of course, you know, I'm pro real estate, so I would throw it out there. Invest in income generating real estate. Don't invest in something like, let's say, in Bay Area, where you got to put 200, 300, 500 bucks every month into the property, even after it's, you know, rented, right? So that means you have a negative cash flow and you are 100% relying on the appreciation game so basically i would say that you are speculating or gambling like in stock market um, i so i believe in reliable cash flow generating real estate uh, real estate will give you monthly income um, it could be small as well uh, but it will appreciate and and also someone else will be paying down the mortgage for you while you are taking advantage of tax write-offs like depreciation etc so i think real estate is uh, the one investment i i don't mind making so um this is it uh, 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 let me go to the next question now Okay, uh, last question I have is, what's the difference between multifamily and single family for investment? And why would you choose one or the other? Krish from Orlando, Florida. Hey, Krish, how are you? Uh, so Krish uh, sent me this email, um, this email as well. Um, again, I also started as a single family investor uh, back in 2015. Uh, finally, uh, in 2018, I moved uh, to uh, more of multifamily investor. So I can definitely relate to this. Someone who is starting out, single family may be the way to go. Um, but, you know, multifamily is where you can scale up. So uh, actually, let me go through the points which I think uh, would be very helpful to everyone. So, and I, I'll go through uh, each point for single family and then multifamily. So you guys can follow it easily. Uh, single family would attract bigger pool of buyers, right? So a buyer, because the buyers can be first time home buyers, second time home buyers, upgrading or downgrading from current property, uh, as well as investors. Whereas in multifamily world, most of the time, buyer would be an investor. Right. So basically, you'll have a, a smaller pool of buyers in multifamily investment. So when you are selling, this is one thing to keep in mind. In single family, tenant tends to stay longer 
reducing cost of turnover, vacancy, leasing, advertising fees. Um, I've seen average um, is between two to five years, depends on the area, neighborhood, uh, property as well. Uh, multifamily usually attracts short-term tenant. Uh, of course, that's not always the case, but this is, again, as I said, usually most of the time, uh, an average uh, tenancy would be one to three years. So you will be going through the turnover every time. You will be spending a grand or a couple of grants uh, every time someone you know vacates the property and you need to bring a new tenant in. Uh, so you got to cover you know uh, calculate uh, the cost of the vacancy turnover leasing fees etc etc right um, single family tenant usually would take care of the property um, and some most of a lot of time actually they have pride in renting a nice property again this is very specific to nice property and nice area as well uh, multifamily tenant may not take care of the property uh, because they don't treat like uh, their own property. So that's another thing you would notice with multifamily. Now, uh, so first three points uh, we discussed, uh, you know, pointed that our single family seems to be a better choice, right? So we'll go through the <laughs> other points now. Uh, in single family, if the property is vacant, mortgage and other expenses would be out of pocket for the investors. If it's vacant for one month, two months, three months, or it needs to be rehabbed, all this time, uh, you know, investors got to cover all the expenses. But let's say even if you don't have a big multifamily and you have just a duplex or triplex or even a fourplex, uh, then even one vacant unit is not going to do uh, much harm to the investor because other rented units can cover most or all of the expenses. Let's say you have a duplex. Uh, uh, I have a duplex, so I can take uh, uh, that into this uh, calculation and I can show you what... Uh, I'm doing with that duplex or you know how much money I'm getting paid so I bought the duplex for 180 grand uh, in Atlanta uh, the total rent is uh, about uh, 1900 per month so even if one of my unit is not rented I would still have income of 950 from the other unit and that would cover my mortgage uh, plus uh, insurance uh, as well as the property taxes of course it may not cover it may not cover my property management expenses, but it should cover most of the expenses. So this is just to uh, you know show you guys how it works in single family versus multifamily. Single family, it's hard to scale up using the model because finding and closing even four single family would require investors to go through four different lenders, mortgages for separate closing process etc in not including finding the property now at the same time the same investor can purchase one fourplex and own four units in one transaction without paying additional closing costs appraisal inspection fees etc and not going through the hassle four times right so uh, that's this is a no-brainer if you just Think about scaling up, and this is why I love uh, multifamily now. Again, I also have some, uh, not some, actually, I don't have any single family anymore, uh, except one. Uh, all others are either duplexes uh, and two nineplexes, right? Uh, again, and I'm trying to acquire or working on acquiring a 21-unit uh, property with four other partners. On single families case, property management and accounting can be tricky and cumbersome 
as the properties are or may not be located in same street or same neighborhood or may not be even in same state like what I have been doing. I have, I have currently invested in Birmingham, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, and you know Dallas, Texas. So I'm working with three different property managers. Right? But in multifamily's case, all or most of the units can be under one roof. Um, right, reducing complexity involved with property management, accounting, and a lot of other day-to-day activities. Single families can be located from A to B to C to D neighborhoods. Uh, multifamily mostly I have seen is in B and lower neighborhoods. So that's another thing to keep in mind if you are worried about the neighborhood. But most of the points, as you can see, point to multifamily. If nothing, at least uh, you, you should own a small multifamily, a duplex or, you know, fourplex, etc. So hope, uh, Krish, I was able to answer your question. Thanks, everyone, for listening to podcast number four. Wish everyone will have a great 2019. Happy investing. If you have any questions about any types of investment, please reach out to me via email. Would love to help. Thank you. Take care. Bye.